You're listening to Minimalish, a podcast where we talk about simplifying our stuff, our lives, our motherhood, all in a realistic way so that we can make room for what matters. We're not here for perfectly tidy homes or seeing how much we can possibly declutter. We're here for living with less, realistically. It's going to look different for all of us, but we're not really focused on how our version of minimalism looks anyways. We're focused on how it feels. I'm your host, Desiree. I'm a mom to two and on my own journey of living with a little less clutter so I can have more space for an intentional life. I'm no expert, and I like to think of this as a corner of the internet where we're learning and growing together. So let's walk towards a more simple and intentional life. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back to Minimalish. Today, I am sharing with you the conversation that inspired my like three to four week playroom overhaul. So buckle up and get ready to overhaul your playroom for weeks and weeks at a time. Just kidding. That's really not all this episode is about. But talking to my guest today, Jules Ong, really inspired me to create an inspiring space for my kids to be in. I will say that I mentioned in this episode that my five, almost six-year-old doesn't really play very independently. And since having this conversation with Jules, my whole perspective around play has changed. And I implemented so many of the things that she talked about here. And there's just been such a change in the way that play happens in my home. And I love it so much. And I know my kids love it too. So at the end of this episode, after you listen to my conversation with Jules, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share just some of the changes that I made in our play space that have really made a difference for us. So listen for that at the end of the episode. But first, and more importantly, let me introduce you to Jules. Jules is the creator of Stories of Play, and she is a play parenting coach who helps other moms and dads teach their kids how to play and learn independently so that they can foster their capacity to be creative thinkers and so that you as a parent can have some time to breathe as well. Also, fun fact, Jules is from Singapore, but she now lives in Australia. And so we had to like compare our schedules and try to find a time that overlapped that we were both awake that we could talk because we live on opposite ends of the world. And that is one of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to have these conversations with people who are literally on the other side of the world. We may live extremely far away from each other, but we still got to connect and I still got to learn from Jules and I am so grateful for that. And I'm grateful that I now get to share this conversation with you. If you have ever felt like frustrated that your child doesn't play on their own, or you feel frustrated with the amount of toys in your home and how your child does not actually engage with those toys, no matter how old they are, This episode is going to be one that will inspire you to recreate play for your kids. And I'm just really excited about that because what a fun topic to talk about play. We have been deep in the trenches of talking about the back to school season. So I'm glad to kind of shift and talk about play. One more thing I wanted to mention is that we talk about homeschooling briefly in this episode, and I do not want you to think that now that I am homeschooling, this podcast is a homeschooling podcast because I actually had a ton of these conversations that I'll be sharing with you or that I have been sharing with you before I even made the decision to homeschool. 
And this is one of them. I just asked her that question because it seemed relevant because she is a homeschooling mom. But when I had this conversation with Jules, I had not made the decision to homeschool. I actually did not think that we were going to homeschool. So just wanted to throw that out there. This podcast is for all parents. Anyways, let's dive in to my conversation with Jules. All right. Well, Jules, I'm so excited to have you on the show today, and I'm so excited uh, for our topic about play, which is a fun topic. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do before we dive into that? Of course. So thank you for having me. My name is Jules, and I'm a play parenting coach. And so basically what I do is I help parents harness the power of open-ended play and help parents, I guess, raise and cultivate a love of um, learning in their children and help them raise creative, curious, and self-motivated learners. I love that mission so much just because, I mean, that's what we all want, right? We want our kids to be creative and self-motivated and we want them to love learning. And I love that you do it through promoting open-ended play. So you have a story that I think is common for us as parents. And that is, you know, we want these things for our kids and then we want to kind of take control and and make it happen as much as we possibly can, right? We have this urge to kind of set things up for them and do things for them. And sometimes we can do too much. So can you talk a little bit about your story about how you discovered you were maybe doing too much and what happened when you stopped? Yeah, for sure. So before, well, actually, I am a currently a homeschooling mom. But prior to me being a homeschooling mom, I was a teacher as well in the field. I was a preschool teacher for many, many years. And I guess just being a teacher, I when I became a mom and I started to homeschool my kids, I just felt like I need to bring school into the house. You know, I felt like I needed to do all of these things that I was doing with my students back in the day. And so when I became a mom for the very first time, I was really excited to do all the things that I did as a teacher, but with my child. And so I did that with my very firstborn. And that was fine because I only had the one child. But then um, as I became, I guess, pregnant again, I, I now currently have four kids. So I have a lot of kids. But as and with my first three kids, um, they all happened really, really quickly. I had three under three. And so I guess it just came to the point where I just felt like I couldn't do this anymore, right? I was so exhausted, so tired. I was constantly, you know, creating activities, setting up things for them to do, play invitations, and just, you know, just full of um, everyday busy mom life as well. And I just felt like, oh my goodness, I was, I needed to stop for a minute. I need to give myself, when I had, I guess, my second and third child, I felt like I needed to stop for a while. I need to give myself maternity leave from doing all of these activities, right? Because I was just so exhausted just being mom. So I decided to kind of put my teacher hat away for a minute and just focus on being mom for a season. And I told myself, I would just take a break and I'll come back to it. But I guess I, in that process of taking a break from setting up all and doing all of the different extra learning activities, I began to realize that hey, wait a minute, I actually didn't have to do any of those things at all because even when I was not doing anything, I was not setting up anything, my children were still playing, they were still learning, they were still developing, they were still doing all these amazing things all on their own. And I realized that, you know, it was really all on me 
needing to be present and be in the moment to observe all that they were already doing in the first place. And so I kind of accidentally discovered um, the power of open-ended play and what our children are so capable of doing all on their own kind of accident. So that is kind of how it started for me. And it, you know, the, the thing about how my children learn these days, like um, I call it authentic learning, it's something that once I see it now, I just can't go back to doing all those activities again anymore because it's just so much more um, authentic, so much more natural. And the learning for my children is just so much more meaningful and it really sticks and it's so precious. And so I'm just so grateful that I accidentally discovered this lifestyle for us. Yeah, I I love that. When I had my first, I was the same way. And I feel like I wasn't really good at setting up and making the activity or like elaborate crafts I wanted to to make for like a two-year-old and things yeah. like that. And I, I would feel bad about myself. I would see other moms doing mm. it online and feel like, oh, I, you know, why can't I get this? And now that I have um, my second child is around the same age that I feel like I was always kind of on top of my first one and and trying to set things up for her I can see that she's just so much more independent because I'm I'm a little step back from her and and let her kind of go and and kind of choose her own interests and what she wants to play with one thing you mentioned is a play invitation and um, I know is that something that you still do but in a different way yeah, for sure. So I used to do very, very elaborate invitations as well, because as a teacher, that was what I did. I set up inviting play spaces for my students as a teacher. But as a teacher, I had I had so much time to be able to do it. I had planning at time. I had planning hours where I had no children in my class and I would go in and just set up without kids around. So I had the time for that. And also I've got assistants as well to help me to tidy up, to reset things as well. I had all of those things as a teacher, but as a busy mom of three under three, I didn't have any of that. But what I knew as a teacher was the power of creating inviting play spaces for children. Because if the play space is not inviting, right, our children will not um, be inspired to see that they could actually play and create and do all these wonderful things that we want to encourage them to do. And so what I have done is I have actually taken my teacher knowledge in knowing the power of setting up an inviting play space and actually made it doable for, for parents and, and still make it inviting. And so I have something where I tell parents, you know, learning about the art of the invitation, but do it in under 60 seconds. Because as a busy parent, sometimes that's all we've got. We've got like two minutes. We've got two minutes, um, one minute to just set up a quick invitation. And that's all we've got, right? A lot of times, you know, in um, the Pinterest world, Instagram world, all of the play invitations look amazing. But the thing is, it often looks like it's going to take, you know, 20 minutes or our and our children's entire nap time for us to set up. And that's just not doable and not realistic for the average mom. And even from experience, for those of us who actually have the time to be able to set up like um, a, such an elaborate play invitation, what actually happens is our children actually just come in and they look at it and they, they don't really play with it for that long in the first place. Because then the coming and they see something that has already been completely set up, there's actually nothing left for our kids to do. And so there is the power of keeping it simple when it comes to play invitation. And really what all that entails is an invitation to get our children to come play. That's all it really is. Nothing fancy at all. Just something really, really simple that will just invite our children 
attract them, entice them to come sit down and play. Yeah, I love that. Can you give an example of just like a couple of simple play invitations? What First of all, what age are your kids right now? So my, I've got four kids, four girls. Um, they are seven, six, four, and one. Okay, that sounds like a busy day, <laughs> but a fun one. <laughs> um, so could you, if you even want to share just like some play invitation, invitations that you set up with that variety of kids, that would be awesome. Yeah. So I think the first thing is a lot of parents feel like, you know, when you set up certain play invitations, you know, you're only setting up something for a specific child, you know, a seven-year-old type invitation, and then there's a one-year-old type invitation as well. But the way I see is when you bring in invitations, when you bring in things like open-ended toys, for example, they are actually suitable for children of all ages. The thing about it is that we need to manage our expectations in terms of how we see our children actually engaging with those setups and those toys. So for me, for example, let's just use an example of blocks because um, my family, we love blocks a lot. And so imagine that you've got a, a set of blocks, right? What I would do with setting up for something for my child is, you know, with a with a one-year-old, I might not set up the entire, I would not um, let her play with the whole block set because that's quite a lot of blocks for um, just a one-year-old. But I would, I would choose like a couple, even when she was a baby, right? When she couldn't even crawl, right? When she was only able to sit, I would just pick a couple of blocks and I'll put them in a muffin tray, like just 12 pieces of blocks in a 12, um, four by three muffin tray. And that would be a play invitation, a quick and simple one where my child could just play with the blocks however she chooses and then if I've got a toddler or a preschooler I might just you know empty out all the blocks in a tray because most of our blocks actually come in trays in trays like that so instead of just leaving the block set just by itself in in the original packaging what I like to do is to often um, just remove everything from the original packaging and just leave the tray as an empty canvas and that in itself could be an invitation already and other things that I might do is maybe pairing blocks with just something else that my child might not think to pair them with so if we've got pack dolls if you've got um other toys like magnetic tiles or if you've got um, um, fabric just different pieces of cloth and material that you can put together with the blocks as well it helps our children to actually see that hey maybe I can do something with the blocks and with the fabric or hey I can I can do something with the blocks and the pack dolls or animal figurines or whatever that you actually put together for your children so that literally would take less than a minute um, just very very quick and simple another one even is to just bring things down to their level as well I know a lot of times parents often have toys in like boxes or they might have it like on shelves um, and because it just looks so tidy and neat and pretty but what I like to tell parents is just bring them down just on the ground and on the ground um open it up in a inviting manner it's enough to get our children like interested in wanting to engage with that setup okay I love this so much because as I'm listening to you I'm thinking about my playroom that it's not like overly packed with stuff or clutter. We try to keep it somewhat minimal with toys, but we do have toys. And I have a, a five-year-old, almost six-year-old. If she, she'll tell me she's bored at some point in the day and I tell her to go play, like you have so many toys in there. But it sounds like the difference is with these play invitations is it's just, you know, bringing the things down for them because just telling them to go play in a room that 
has all of their toys in there might be overwhelming to them or it might not, you know, get their creative juices flowing. So I would like to hear when do you typically set up play invitations for your kid? Is it something your kids, is it something you're doing like throughout the day or is there a specific time of day that you do this? Um, I know you're homeschooling them. So you're with them, you're home with them all day. So can you just talk about that at least in your days and maybe how you encourage other moms to do that too? I don't actually do a lot of that anymore these days because my children um, are very, very, I guess, skilled in in setting up their own play at this point in time. But back when they were much younger, with my first um, um, few um, bigger children, I would actually use like utilize nap time or even um, um, at the end of the night when they go to bed and everything is just fresh and clean, I'll just set up something quick because it doesn't take me long at all. And so even when I'm tidying up or resetting the playroom, I, instead of just resetting and putting everything back where it belongs, I would just leave something out on the floor. So that could be as simple as that. And um, yeah, on their nap time as well, because sometimes during naps, that's when you know we reset our children's play. And then I would just, you know, instead of putting everything back together, I would just put something out really quickly. I love how simple it is. It's just like kind of going with the rhythms where you're already in there and having your hands on the the toys already. Uh, Why is independent play important? Because I think sometimes too, when we see our kids playing independent and like really engaged, it's great. But sometimes as parents, we get like guilt, like, oh, should we be in there with them doing it, you know? So can you just talk about the importance of it? I think before we do that, the first thing we need to talk about is actually the definition of independent play because there are so many different uh, um, definitions out there. And for some people, independent play means telling their children, go play, be by yourself for a while, while I as a parent go and do all my own things as well. So I do not talk to you, you do not talk to me, you do your own thing, I do my own thing. But for me, that's not the actually the definition of independent play. For me, and the definition that I teach parents in my world is that independent play means that your child is able to engage in play without input from you. So it's not that they are by themselves in a room playing all by themselves, but I might be there. I might, I, I might even be sitting right next to them, but they do not need me to tell them how to play. They do not need me to actually, you know, play with them and give them ideas or help them to actually play, right? I'm able to perhaps, you know, fold my laundry next to them. I'm able to read a book next to them. I'm able to do whatever chores that I need to do, do even work, write write something if I need to, whilst they're playing right next to me. Because the thing is, for our children under the age of five, they're really actually still really young and they need to be in close proximity with the, the main caregiver and the adult in their life. Because, you know, even if you think about it as adults, some of us, I'm not saying every adult, but I know I'm like that as well. Like if I know um, I've, uh, my children are in the house with me, my husband is in the house with me. I don't want to be in a room just by myself. I want to be around other people. And so that is for some of our children as well, especially for those of our children who are just more wired to to like company. Um, you know, if you're talking about extroverts and introverts as well, there are just some children who want to be around people and that's completely safe. That's completely normal and age appropriate and developmentally appropriate for our children. And so firstly, we need to understand that. Now then, when we talk about the benefits of, uh, of independent play, it's for our children to feel confident in knowing that 
they have the ideas. They do not need us to help them with ideas. They are creative enough. They are confident. They've got it inside of them. They've got all these amazing ideas waiting to come out of them. And it's something we want to encourage as well because they build their confidence. They build their autonomy. They build their their their, their strengths even as they, they delve into things that interest them, right? And they build their own skills and interests and, and abilities and all of that wonderful things when they actually engage in um, independent, um, self-chosen, child-led, open-ended type of play. I, you know, I could see that in my five-year-old. She she always wants to be with me. And mm. so a lot of times that always turns into me as her playmate because yeah. of that. But I love the idea of just like the pre- being present, but also inviting them to engage with play on their own. Why doesn't it work? If even if we're in the same room, like if you say like go play, even if you are in the same room and you tell your child go play over there with your toys, why doesn't that work for some kids? Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> well, that is uh, it's really hard to answer that question just with one answer because there could be so many different reasons and factors that will contribute as to whether a child is able to play or not. So, firstly, what I often tell parents is play is a developmental skill. It's, it happens in their own time, right? It happens in different amounts as they grow as well. So sometimes we're looking at, you know, a two-year-old and we think, oh my goodness, my child can't concentrate and play for a really long time. But actually, the average amount of time that a child is able to sit and focus on play is actually two to five minutes per age of child. So if you've got a two-year-old, sitting down and playing for four minutes is completely normal and expected for a two-year-old of that age. And then if you've got a one-year-old who's even younger, that would just mean that you are expecting a one-year-old to play for two to five minutes. So that's another, that's one possible reason that they are just not developmentally ready to be playing for extended periods of time by themselves. The second thing is that play is also a learned skill. And that's something a lot of parents actually don't know. They think that, oh, you know, play is a child's work. You know, our child are just, children are just wired to play. They know how to play. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, when it comes to things like open-ended play, you know, playing with their toys, their blocks, you know, the type of play that we often see a lot in these days, these are the, the type of skills that our children need to grow into. They need to learn how to play with blocks. They need to learn how to play with magnetic tiles or whatever other toys that they've got in their playroom as well. And then there's also the reason that another third reason where they might they might not feel connected enough and uh, with you as the parent yet. Because for ch- our children, they need to actually feel like they're their love, their love tank, their connection cup is full, right? If they are not feeling full, um, fully connected to you in a particular day, it will be really hard for them to actually go away from you to actually play on their own because they just want to feel connected. They want to be doing things with you as the parent in order for them to feel um confident and safe enough to go away and explore. And so that is something that we need to stop and consider as well. And so for me, I often tell parents, have a think, you know, if you had had, if you have had a very busy season, uh, had a very busy couple of days maybe where you have not really been playing with your child much because that is one main way that our children actually feel connected to us, time with us, and oftentimes it's time playing with us. And so if we've not actually spent that time, invest in that time to connect with them through play, it's really, really hard for for our children to actually just go away and play on their own. So some some things needs to happen first in order for independent play to happen. 
That's so good. It sounds like, you know, one way that we can help our children play independently is engaging in play with yeah. them. And I think as parents, sometimes we we think and there's a narrative out there that like it's not, you know, fun to play with our kids, but I think if we just let our to-do list go a little bit sometimes, it becomes a really fun and precious time to to sit down and play with them. It's all of the external things that get to us that make us feel like, okay, we can't take this time to sit down and play. If hiring is a part of your job, you know that it can be challenging. You need a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that help you find matched candidates. And with Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. One of the things I love most about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because of its hiring platform. Indeed shows you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. It does the hard work for you. And even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join the 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com minimalish. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit at indeed.com minimalish. Just go to indeed.com slash minimalish and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast, indeed.com slash minimalish. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So as someone who coaches others on play and who creates play invitations for their kids and open-ended play and independent play for your kids, it's very important to you. I want to talk about the volume of toys. One area we talked about kind of doing too much as a parent in trying to set up play and and make it almost like control it too much for our kids. One other area where I think we can do too much is how much we bring into the house for our kids and how how many toys we buy. And I think sometimes we think our, our kids will play better if we have more toys. So can you talk a little bit about that? What does it look like, like having less when it comes to playing or having more when it comes to fostering creative play in our kids. Um, What does that look like in your home? What do you suggest for others? Yeah, great question. I feel like oftentimes parents think that, you know, the magic of play is in the toy. And especially with Instagram and Pinterest, where, you know, we've got so many, um, I guess, um, we're bombarded with so many images of beautiful playrooms with beautiful toys. And so it often feels like, as a parent, looking at all these different um, curated social media accounts, it feels like you need to be buying all these different toys as well in order for your children to play and in order for your children to actually enjoy um, playing. But that couldn't be further from the truth because like I said, play is a learned skill. And also with regards to toys, 
they are actually not necessary at all, right? I know as a play coach, it's so funny for me to say that, but I often tell parents, your child can definitely play really, really well, even without a single toy in your house. I've seen it happen with my kids and I've seen it with other families as well that I coach. Because a lot of times people, the, the block that they have for parents is, oh, you know, I might not have the budget. I might not have the space to have a lot of toys, right? Does that mean that I cannot encourage wonderful play? I cannot encourage open-ended play and independent play in my children and I say no right my children can play with rocks they can play with leaves in our garden they can just play with like um, old scarves that I've got anything can become um, a tool for play in the hands of a children if they are equipped with the skills to see the possibilities in the environment around them in the materials in just in every day around them right and so um, yeah that's what I would say for for parents do not think that you need to be constantly getting the toys. Now, having said that, right, what I would say for me is I actually don't think that for those of you who want to buy toys in your house, you do not need a lot as well. And something I often advocate for is choosing open-ended toys. So open-ended toys are basically toys that can um, can function in so many different ways that your children can actually play with um the toys in a bunch of different ways. And by that definition, it would mean that it is not just a toy for um, a baby. It's not just a toy for a toddler. It's not just a toy for a preschooler, not just a toy for a season of your child's life, but rather it's a toy that you will invest in and it will last through the seasons of your children's childhood and even beyond as well. So things like blocks are such a wonderful resource as well. So my, I, I don't actually have any baby toys, even though I've got a one-year-old, but my, my baby, even when she was just six months old, her first toys were just everyday um, items in our home. But for toys, her, her first toy would be something like blocks, right? And these are the same toys that my toddlers and my preschoolers and even my primary schooler still plays with as well. So they, they use the same toy, but they play with it in different ways. And that's how we are able to actually keep the amount of toys that we've got in our house small. I actually honestly think that we've got quite um, small amount of toys as well for the number of kids that I've got because um, I know a lot of people um, parents often um, talk about toy rotation but I've never felt the need to do toy rotation in our house just because we don't even have that many to be to be rotating even so pretty much anything that you see in my house um, things that I show on social media that's pretty much all the toys that we've got and so I don't think we I think we have just the right amount of toys and you can only do that when you have intentionally curated the toys that come every single toy that comes into your house so I never feel like I need to actually declutter any of my things because I don't have any toys that my children actually outgrow off yeah I I love that just keeping in mind toys that grow with your kids mm -hmm. and that will kind of eliminate the need to be constantly decluttering and deciding oh are they done with this toy well no because they can continue to use it as they grow you talked about inviting play spaces earlier and and I think you mentioned you know a, a beautiful space for them to play a space where they feel comfortable and obviously play creates mess, right? <laughs> it gets messy. So what system do you have to keep the messes less and recreate that play space for your kids each day? Um, are they involved in helping with that? What does that look like? 
Yeah. So I think this is going to look different for every single one of us, every single household, because we as parents all have different tolerance for mess as well, our mess threshold as well, I like to call it. And so for me, and also it also depends on the number of kids, the ages of the kids as well. When I had just a one-year-old or two-year-old and I just had very few kids back in the day, it it was easy for me to do a, a reset um whenever they went down for a nap to do a reset um, at the end of the day when, when they, are, they are in bed because there was um, the amount of mess that one child makes, even two children make, it's not a lot. Especially if you only have a very small curated amount of toys in your house, it's really, really easy to do a quick reset. It never takes me more than um, 15 minutes usually. But as the number of kids I, I had grew and also as my children became older as well, their play becomes more um, elaborate. It just becomes bigger as well. And so it's hard for, for my children, you know, after they spend like hours building this amazing um, creation to ask them to actually pack it away and reset it. Like they feel, oh, I, I've worked so hard on this. I want my play to remain available um, for, for a couple more days so that I can continue um, to play with it and I can continue to add to it over the next couple of days. And so for us now, what has worked for us now is a system of every day um, when, we've, when we come to the end of the day, just having a mini reset, what I call a mini reset. And so a mini reset means that they can leave their toys out on the ground and all of that as long as their toys remain on our play mats. So that is the boundary. So we've got like um, floors and then we've got um, carpet and we've got play mats. So as long as their toys remain um, on tables or if their toys remain on play mats, that's okay with me. So if there's stuff on the floor, they need to go. They need to be packed up before we go to bed. Then every Sunday, that's when we do a full massive reset. And so on Sunday, every single toy gets um, reset back to their original place. So whether it's on the shelf or in tubs, every single thing needs to go away um, just so that I can have, you know, a couple of hours in once a week where the entire house looks clean and tidy for me. But that's how um, we have done it in our house. That's a system that has worked really, really well. And my children don't... Um, don't get upset um, whenever we have to reset on Sunday because it's just become part of our family's routine. Every single Sunday, they know that this happens every Sunday and we all do it together as a family. We all choose something that we will reset. I do it. My husband does it. The kids all pick something that they'll do as well. And we all take ownership of it. And instead of thinking of it as packing away and tidying up, we I like to use the word reset because, you know, the, I, the, just reframe it to make it sound like, you know, we are resetting the play space so that it's inviting for all of us to play with again. It's a fresh place, fresh space for us to play with again tomorrow morning, um, a new week and a fresh start. I love that. I think it's so manageable to kind of just have these spaces set aside for our kids to say, you know, if you are building or playing in this space and you want to keep it there, that's okay. It's just like these designated spaces because it is. I I know that my almost six-year-old, she will build these elaborate structures mm -hmm. and that's like part of the fun for her is building it. And mm -hmm. oftentimes she'll say like, can I keep it up for the next day? And then she doesn't really go back to it because the fun part for her is is the building. And so then she realizes it and we clean it up a little bit later. But just 
allowing them ownership over what they created and then having them also take ownership and cleaning it up at a designated time. Um, I just love that idea. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you homeschool. You also talked about how you used to try to bring the classroom home. And I know a lot more people are homeschooling these days. And there are probably quite a few listeners that are either thinking about homeschooling or do homeschool. How much is play a part of your homeschooling day? Oh, it is pretty much the entire time of homeschooling. So the way we do homeschool is we don't actually bring school into our house. I, I used to think I needed to do that, but now I guess we, we don't do that at all. And how we homeschool is what I call the authentic learning homeschool way, where literally my children just learn through play and just through doing life together. So we just, you know, we cook together, we are in the garden, um, we are outside playing, we're playing with blocks, we're just reading, we're talking, talking about different topics and conversations that happen. And just all of that is just part of learning. And it's amazing. Like my girls learn how to read, they learn how to write and all their numbers and all of their wonderful things just by playing and just by um, just doing life together as a family. So that's really cool. And that's pretty much how we do homeschooling for us. So it is, yeah, just play and doing life all the time. So for us, we don't have set hours in a day where we homeschool. We often tell, like to tell parents that, um, tell our family members or friends who are like interested and ask us questions that we actually just pretty much homeschool 24 seven, 365 days a year. Like we don't have holidays. And just because the way we do it, it, it is not like a chore. It's not something we have to do, but it's just interwoven so beautifully into our lives. That sounds Amazing and lovely. So thank you for sharing that. One other thing I wanted to ask before we, I have two questions that I ask every guest, but one last question focused on uh, our topic today that I wanted to ask is if someone's listening in and has a child that is maybe a little bit older um, and they struggle to play independently or they have, you know, maybe not learned that skill along the way of creative, independent play. How do you, um, and I'm sure that that is the parent that you often work with. So what are just some like first tips to kind of getting started with this process of, of fostering more creative, open-ended play in our children? For me, the first thing is always to look at your play space initially right so for me that whenever children are not wanting to play a lot I always ask parents what how is your play space like currently could you do with a play space refresh is there something that you can tweak and make it a little bit more inviting so that it will entice your children to dive in and play the example I often give is just like um if if you for example if you are going to a shop and you're thinking about buying something, some clothes to put an outfit together. If you walk into a shop where there's this big um, table where there's just like a big bunch of clothes just thrown all over on the table and you are meant to, you know, put together an outfit from that big messy pile of table of clothes, would you be able to do it? And often parents say, no, I can't, right? I can't. It's just so overwhelming, too, too messy. I can't think of what, I, I don't feel inspired at all. But as compared to if you walk past a, a shop, a beautiful shop curated where, you know, the mannequins are dressed so beautifully, the, 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 the shop owners have done a beautiful job of dressing the mannequins and you walk past it and you look at them and you are 
just so inspired and you just want to buy those clothes because you can imagine yourself actually putting the clothes on. You are inspired. It looks attractive. It looks beautiful. And you can imagine yourself wearing those outfits right there, right? And that's the same for our children as well. In order for our children to want to play, they need to actually be enticed to see that, hey, this looked like it could be something, right? Those blocks look so um, beautiful the way that you have set up, mom, that I just feel like I'm, I'm going to create something with it. And so that's what I often ask parents, thinking about the environment as, as an adult, right? As a, as a third adult. And so this is a philosophy called um, Reggio, Reggio Emilia approach as well. It's in one of um, the educational philosophies where the, the adult sees themselves as, um, as an, the role of preparing the environment and setting up the, the environment as a third adult to engage your child, to pull them into the play without you as the real adult needing to do anything at all. And so that would be one of the, the things that I would ask parents to try and having um, the idea that you ha you have a beautiful play space there, or maybe you don't yet have a, uh, a play space yet, but to start there and to create a play space where you as a parent feel like you want to be there as well, right? It feels comfortable. It feels inviting for you, even for you yourself as the parent, because when you want to spend more time in there, in that space, your children will end up wanting to spend a lot more time in there as well because they want to be close to us. And so that would be my um, response. I love that. Well, thank you so much for all of your insights. I have just been like all ears on this conversation and learned so much myself. So thank you for that. Um, I do have two questions that I like to ask every guest kind of just for fun. So the first one is what's something that you're simplifying right now? Um, finally, um, the thing that we're trying to simplify right now is actually our business. So um, I'm very blessed and very lucky that my husband is actually working um, a couple of years ago, um, our um my husband came home from corporate to actually be at home to homeschool with us and to actually work on growing the business together with me. And so we've got quite a lot of different things going on with our business now. And we're just trying to simplify, simplify our business so that we actually are able to spend more time with our kids. So we are looking forward to that. Love that. Well, um, the second question is, what's something that you're loving right now? Oh, it's hard to pick one because I'm really just I'm really just loving and just so grateful for pretty much every aspect of our life right now. Just the fact that you know my family because we our family value our values our main values for us is family and just that's for me that's for my husband as well and we're just wanting to instill this this value in our children as well and so we're just so grateful that because of what we do because of homeschooling because of our choices to homeschool because of us having an online business where we work at from home instead of going out um, to work um, we are just having so much um, time together as a family and so yeah we're just loving every aspect of our life right now because for us everything is just integrated together like my when I'm working my work is actually also to play with my children because you know I'm documenting it so that I can I can teach parents what I do and all of that so everything just flows so beautifully together and it's also part of our homeschooling and and just part of our lives and just part of the things we do for business and just everything is like kind of one and all and all integrated and so just so grateful for um, I guess life in general and just very happy to be where we are currently yeah. That's so beautiful. And something I like to talk about on here on Minimalish is 
creating the life you actually want to live and, you know, fostering that life. And of course that looks different for all of us of what we're able to do, but I just, I just love hearing that. That makes me so happy to hear. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. And really quickly before we go, where can everyone who's listening um, come and find you and all the beautiful, fun things that you share? Well, you can find me at Stories of Play. Um, it's my website, storiesofplay.com. You can find me on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, though I'm mostly usually on um, Instagram. So that's where I like to hang out. That's where I like to share most of my um, experiences and stories. And so, yeah, definitely come and say hi and send me a DM if you are just hopping over to my account. I'd love to connect with um, parents. Just love to have a chat anytime. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and it has you ready to kind of revamp how play looks in your home. I promised at the beginning of this episode that I would share some of the changes that I've made since having this conversation with Jules. One of them is I switched our whole playroom around completely. My goals in this whole playroom revamp were to make the play space a beautiful and enjoyable space to be in for myself, which then would probably mean it's an enjoyable and beautiful space to be in for my kids. I wanted them to have access to toys that at both ages, so from a one and a half year old to an almost six year old, they could have access to things that they could play with, mostly toys that grow with them. So they're both playing with these same toys, lots of building toys, lots of art supplies. And those are the main toys that are out for them to access. My other goal was to have this art supplies more easily to access and be more organized because my art supplies were out of hand. So those were the two main goals. And about halfway through my playroom revamp, I also decided to homeschool. So then we decided to make this play space into also a school space. And really what that looked like was just to have some learning resources as decor and also have books in the room. So that was the main change from what it was in the beginning. And what that looked like was taking a lot of the toys out of the room so that I could fit a a big bookshelf in there. I have probably 50% of the toys that I currently had (laughs) in that room. And my children play in there so much more. We took a lot of the bigger like baby toy flashy sound making things out of the room. The main reason for that was my child had definitely grown out of them. There were a lot of things that were gifted to us and she was more so playing with blocks and little like figurines, animal figures. The things her sister plays with are the things she's most interested in anyways. And so now we have one side of the room that has a lots of a lot of books and another side of the room that has a smaller shelf that has toys on the shelf. And that shelf, I based it very loosely, I mean very loosely, off of a Montessori aspect to where it is a small amount of toys that my one-year-old can pull down on her own and play with, but also things that my six-year-old is going to be interested in as well. I now, for the first time in my life, am rotating those things. I've always heard of toy rotation. I think I might have tried it for like a second when Gemma was younger. 
but I'm rotating those things on the shelf and I'm seeing that that makes a big difference. Even if it's the same things, I just kind of rotate the way that I set them up on the shelf. And that came from, that was inspired by Joel's talking about play invitations and setting things up in a way that is developmentally appropriate and is going to invite your kids to play. So the main things I did, just as kind of a conclusion, is I added a bookshelf to the room just out of necessity of making it also a learning space for us. And because of that, I took 50% of the toys out of there. I made the art supplies easily accessible, easy to find, easy to organize and put away. And I made the toys and the building things also easily accessible, easy to put away. And then I made a little Montessori-ish, strong emphasis on the is-ish shelf for my one-year-old that my also six, almost six-year-old also engages with as well. We also have one of our play couches, like nugget-ish couches. It's not a nugget, but it's um, a nugget-style couch in that room as well. That room is now a pleasant place to be in. It's where we spend a lot of our time playing. My one-year-old kind of moseys in there multiple times a day and just plays with things uh, on her own. And then we all go in and join, or my older daughter and I work on some school things while the one-year-old plays. It is a totally different space where before we used to spend no time in that space, and it was almost like a dumping ground. And reminder that like I have decluttered toys several times, and we decluttered before we moved, so the toys that we had here were less than what we had before. But when it comes to toys, I think the less is better. And Joel's really said it best when she said, your kids will play even if there are no toys. So if you are finding that your kids don't want to spend time in the play space that you have for them, my big suggestion is just to have less, have less toys, make them easier to access. And Joel shares a lot of what her play space looks like and how she sets things up for her kids on her Instagram, which is at stories of play. So I'm going to direct you there for any more inspiration you might need because I loved looking at her play space as I revamped mine for inspiration. So I am so thankful for this conversation with Jules. I hope you found something in it that inspired you to change things about the way play happens in your house or just maybe furthers and confirms what you're already doing and inspires you to keep going. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, would you share it with a friend or share it on social media, wherever you like to share things? I'm so grateful for you for doing that. I'm so grateful for you for being here. And I will talk to you right back here again on the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.